Today is Wednesday, February 28, 2024. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Mary Poppins gets a surprise rating change. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast, where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. Email us, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. Just say hi, complain, congratulate us, whatever. We'd love to hear from you. Joining me now to get through that news of the cray, as we like to call it, Trey Gons Phillips and Trey, as I mentioned at the top there, Mary Poppins, the a ratings change. What in the world is happening? Yeah, I always love when the cancel culture stuff goes backwards, right? It's like we're applying today's ridiculous standards to <laughs> the past. So, I, yeah, like it's fine. We evolve and change, and some of those changes yeah. happen to be good. Many of them are ridiculous. Um, but applying those standards to the past is just a silly thing to do <laughs> oftentimes. It's a silly exercise most of the time, but nevertheless, it's happening. So we'll get the details on that in the focus story. And then on the main thing, you had a chance to talk to Hillary Swank and Alan Richson about their new movie, Ordinary Angels. Yeah, it was really cool. It's it's interesting to, so Hilary Swank is not a Christian, but Alan Richson is a Christian. So it was interesting to talk to him and hear, hear some of his thoughts on Christianity. We're, we're good. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to that conversation on the main thing, at least part of it. Make sure you subscribe, by the way, to our other CBN News podcast, DC Debrief with John Stolness. That's a weekly drops on Fridays. Rounding up the happenings in D.C. Don't miss an episode of that. Also, Newsmakers with our own Billy Hallowell. He's got a full-length interview each and every weekday as well. With someone in the news that you want to hear from. So check those out. You can subscribe in the description of this podcast episode. All right. Housekeeping all set. Let's head on over to the news here in 90 seconds. And Hulk Hogan's opening up about his walk with Jesus since publicly announcing his baptism back in December. In a recent interview, he invited his followers to turn to Jesus, saying, knowing of Jesus and knowing him are two different things. He went on to talk about how he was always a believer, but he didn't completely surrender. And so he says, now at this point, knowing him and being one with him, I think all these scars from his past and all these things I've been through uh, he said, not that I'm leading by example, but I've been made an example of for other people to think I'm not correct or I don't have my act cleaned up or I can't do this and that. He said, I think all those people that have all these excuses for being in the wrong place at the wrong time or not being good enough, you don't need to be cleaned up. Come to him. He'll clean you up. So great testimony there from Hulk Hogan. And Hulu is facing some backlash for refusing to pay for an ad from uh, a Fort Worth, Texas church promoting its weeknight services. Hulin Street Church was told by uh, Hulu that it wouldn't run this 22-second ad and because it was, quote, religious indoctrination. And Adam Rubenstein, a former editor with the New York Times, provided a detailed description of his time at the paper of record, including a riveting retelling of how an op-ed he edited from Senator Tom Cotton led to this massive uprising within the paper and ultimately his resignation. Those are just some of today's top headlines. Read more over at cbnnews.com. Trey, I'm particularly curious and well fascinated by this Adam Rubenstein article that he wrote in The Atlantic. This is, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast today, and this is why I brought it up. I will 
Again, link in. I'll link this article into the description here so you all can read it in full. I, I highly, highly recommend it because he really goes into detail on something and provides at least one uh, incident evidence of something we've talked about a lot here, which is journalists in the mainstream media have transitioned from just regular bias, which most outlets have in one way or another, Right. And people understand that and they can consume the content that way. But they've transitioned into full-blown activism. And this story is incredible. And it's based on, an, and this is a young journalist, uh, Adam Rubenstein, making kind of his entry into the New York Times. And he, as a writer and editor, wanted to get there. And he's not a far-left guy. I think he was kind of more of a middle-of-the-road type guy. But he um, he said he when he the first day, by the way, when he, he starts off, when he got to an orientation with all the other new hires, they had to do an icebreaker and they asked him, like, what was their favorite sandwich? And he was the first thing he thought of was some, I don't know, kind of elitist $19 sandwich that uh, he said he said, nah, I didn't th I didn't want to do that because it didn't seem like a great way to make new friends. So he said, I went with the spicy ch chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A and the HR representative, according to him that was leading the orientation said, we don't do that here. They hate gay people. And he said, people started snapping their fingers in acclamation. I mean, wow, that's right where it starts. But, and I won't belabor this much longer, but the main thing is, man, they wrote this article. Well, well, Tom Cotton wrote this article. They edited it. And it was all about how we should be using, uh, essentially they wanted to use, um, uh, calling for military to to quell the riots that were happening after George Floyd. Remember, all the riots are happening across the country, and so he's calling for the military to come in, and they didn't like that. People on the left didn't like that. And so they, they get this op-ed. They go through all the proper procedures, and what happens? There's this huge internal revolt on the Slack channels inside of the New York Times, and he details this blow-by-blow and they basically caved to the mob internally and threw him under the bus. And it is it is pretty much evidence of everything that a lot of us have suspected. Yeah. Well, I think this story is really kind of highlights why generally I think human beings were never intended to be famous. We're not intended to be celebrities because often bad things happen um, when that happens. I think so. We're, I think the celebrity culture surrounding journalists is a big problem here and a big reason this has happened because journalists, as you said, have slipped into becoming activists. Uh, but I think part of the reason why they've slipped into becoming activists is because they have inserted themselves into the story. They're no longer telling a story. They're not telling a story about Senator Tom Cotton and telling a story about the riots happening. What they're doing is building a brand in and of themselves. Uh, and then they feel like they have become so big and so so central to the telling of this story that they in fact are the story. Yeah. Uh, so they feel comfortable to just say, no, I'm going to, we're going to silence that Senator. We're not going to allow him to say what he wants to say, or we're going to tell this story from this blatantly progressive perspective because they, they have become so huge in and of themselves that it's like, people don't actually care about the story. They care about, 
me as as a writer, as a personality. There, people aren't just journalists anymore, right? They're personalities. They're yeah. they're they're people that are that are worth following because of what they think, which is that's fine to have columnists, right? It's fine to have the Tucker Carlson's out there and the the Joy Reads on the on the progressive sure. side, like you know whatever. There's nothing wrong with having those commentators, but. There is a problem when there are actually no just objective journalists left. Yeah, it really is uh, a disturbing trend that we're seeing in the media now where they're just lurching towards activism and there's really no getting around that. And this article is just a stunning example of that. So, all right, we are going to head over to the focus story now. And as, as we talked about at the top of your tray, Mary Poppins getting a ratings update because that's the first thing that's on everybody's mind. We better update Mary Poppins. So <laughs> why the ratings change? Why is it happening now? Yes, I, for one, have been very concerned about the rating <laughs> of Mary Poppins now for years, and I'm glad <laughs> that the world has finally caught up with yeah. my concern. Um, so this is in the UK, we should note, but yeah. it often seems that the way the UK goes, so the US goes, uh, ultimately. So obviously Mary Poppins is a, a pretty beloved classic Disney movie. It's been around since the early 60s. It, first premiered in 1964 uh, and at the time and up until now it's been rated U over in the United Kingdom which U stands for universal it's basically the equivalent of a G rating here in the United States uh, but it's now been swapped for a PG rating which has the same meaning here as it or there as it does here which is just parental guidance is suggested. So why the random change though it doesn't seem to to make any sense the movie is I, I've always thought probably one of the more benign movies out there, yeah. uh, just a, a feel-good family movie. But uh, there are two fleeting instances in the movie. If you're not paying attention, you don't notice them. In fact, Mary Poppins growing up was one of my family's favorite movies, and I don't think I ever noticed this term being used at all in the dozens of times I'm sure that I've seen the movie, but uh, there there's a word that's used in the movie. It's the word is hot and tot, uh, which it, to us probably nowadays has absolutely <laughs> no real meaning nope. whatsoever at all. Still doesn't to um, me, as you said it, I thought I'm waiting, wondering what the word was going to be. And that was not what I expected. <laughs> Yeah, it, it. When I first read about this, I thought I don't. I, I wouldn't even be able to. Like you know, if, if somebody was forcing me to tell them what this word meant, I would. I would have nothing to say. But uh, there is a, a Southwest African uh, group of people, a demographic there in Africa, uh, that speaks predominantly with clicks, right? The one of the languages that to us is is kind of indecipherable. It just sounds like I a bunch have. of click of clicking noises, <laughs> right? So the this group of people that ultimately became a derogatory term in the 15th and 16th century. Uh, it it's a, a Dutch word that that's derived from a Dutch word which means to stutter, uh, and that was a word used to describe this group of people. My and goodness. That, and that word then became kind of a derogatory moniker used to describe this demographic of people in Africa in the and 15th century, though. 
it originated in the 15th century. It was used from from about the 15th to the 19th century, uh, and then it kind of obviously fell out of of use because, as as you and I have made clear, we had no idea what on earth the word actually meant. Um, but there are two instances where one of the characters in the movie, Admiral Admiral Boom, uh, who lives next to where Mary Poppins came to nanny, uh, he used the word two different times in conversation in the movie. It's it's very quick references. But because that word is, quote, discriminatory uh, and offensive to some people, uh, the 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 people, the powers that be over in, in the United Kingdom decided it's the British Board of Film Classification. They decided to to change the rating from U or G to PG. I mean, OK, my first reaction when hearing <laughs> this, I, I didn't think it was going to be that, first of all. Second of all. Can you imagine what your day-to-day work day is like in this ratings, whatever company or whatever organization is in charge of these ratings? How sad is your day that you are able to think this far down the line into, you know what, boss? I've been thinking about this word that came out in the 1500s. (laughs) It kind of went out in the 1800s, but man, it was bad at one time and it kind of relates to this and it's a fleeting moment but we better get on this I, I what are you doing in your day that this is even on your radar i mean that is am i alone in this this seems like insane to me no i think it's it's bizarre I, i'm guessing that the reasoning behind it and i was i was reading some reports from over in the united kingdom and sky news has a report on it and they 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 tied it to the fact that the 60th anniversary of Mary Poppins is this year. Uh, So the studios over there are planning to re-release the film in theaters to commemorate, obviously, the release of the movie. So that prompted people at this organization to take another look at the rating and kind of update it. But I think, Dan, one of the funniest parts of the story to me, and (laughs) it kind of becomes funnier the more I read it, is... (laughs) In the the organization's statement about the update, they said that part of the reason they updated it is because, quote, some scenes may be unsuitable for young children. We're both adults and had no idea what the word meant. I guarantee you that a seven-year-old watching this movie is right. probably just going to think it's like gibberish. She's, they're not even going to be listening to this word. So what what's sad, the sad, funny irony of this is that they're drawing attention to something that they apparently want to detract from. But had they not drawn attention to it, no, no one, one would have would noticed have ever, it. No one would have ever known. And if your seven-year-old or your eight-year-old comes to you and he goes, you know what? That's a, <laughs> I heard that bad word. You know what, Dad? They used to use that in the 1500s. I mean, I'd, I'd be like, wow. I'd be what impressed are, if yeah, my child like, hey, had that information. Well done. Um, but so what else is this? So it's the British Board of Film classification. Yes. So, man, that sounds like a joyous place to work. What else are they saying? <laughs> Yeah, so they ended their statement by saying, we understand from our racism and discrimination research that a key concern for parents is the potential to expose children to discriminatory language or behavior, which they may find distressing or repeat without realizing the potential offense. Again, I don't think a six, seven, eight-year-old is going to find the word distressing if they even hear it. And two, they're not going to repeat it because they probably can't pronounce it. I didn't. I've watched this movie so many times and never heard the word. In fact, yeah. once I watched the clip, I knew instantly what scene it, it was. It was showing, but I I was like instantly 
teleported back to my childhood and thought, I've never understood what word he said in that scene. I always just kind of moved on and ignored it because yeah. I, I never I never knew. But uh, anyway, they, they ended their statement by saying content with immediate and clear condemnation is more likely to receive a lower rating. So they were saying that had the characters in the movie said the word, but then someone else in the movie had kind of corrected that person for saying that word because it was offensive, then they probably would have left the G rating. But because the offense wasn't corrected in the storyline, they had to upgrade it to a PG rating. Goodness, goodness. So what else uh, What else do we have for final thoughts on this one, Trey? It's just a crazy story, right? It's sad to me that that this is the, the rules that we live by now. We were talking at the top before we got into the details of this story that this these hypersensitive rules that we've put in place, not only are we applying them to ourselves, but we're now applying them many times to people who are no longer alive or no longer able to defend themselves. And also we're, we're pulling things out of context. A lot of these words and these colloquialisms that we might've said back in, in the sixties, fifties, whatever time it might be. Yes. Some of them are offensive now and we wouldn't say them now, obviously right, right. past like civil rights issues, past, you know, on the other side of the civil rights movement, there are ways of referring to minority people that we would never use now because we we understand culturally we've evolved and we see that as problematic, but it seems unfair to me to take these rules that we have now, good or bad, and apply them to people who can't defend themselves. And we're living in a culture when those things are widely accepted. Yes, it's it's fair to say that that it was wrong to do that in the culture, but also keep that context in mind when you're when you're addressing these issues and i feel like more often than not we don't keep any context in mind we're just out for <laughs> no, blood yeah, with, right. with with any issue yeah that is the way it goes today unfortunately but uh you know look it's something to keep uh, on the lookout cuz you have this these things being <laughs> changed we also yeah. have in canada and maybe we'll get into this later in the week on the podcast but there is a new law in canada now that's a um, offensive speech, hate speech sort of law where you can actually get fined thousands of dollars for engaging in quote unquote hate speech, which we've seen now is completely a label that gets misused by our social media giants and gatekeepers there. So you can only imagine how that's going to go when they start trying to put law enforcement behind that in there in Canada. So like you said, yeah, it's UK and that law I just mentioned in Canada, but this it's the same types of thinking that a lot of leaders here have and so we have to be on guard for this kind of stuff and speak out now or it's going to be you won't be able to speak if we don't speak up in time so uh you know we're going to lose those rights if if we're not careful about it and we're not willing to speak up and and make a stand so um so stories like this are, are good to have on our radar to understand what's going on and what people are actually doing things that they would never would have done five ten years ago never even would have tried yeah. that but but yet here we are. So appreciate well, it. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say the takeaway here maybe is go buy a copy of Mary Poppins before it's edited. <laughs> yeah, right? If that's, yeah, if guy, that's a movie you like, get the original before it's It'll changed. be a classic. It'll be a classic <laughs> and it'll be worth something. So Yeah, exactly. All right. Appreciate you bringing that one to the pod today, Trey. We're going to head over to the main thing now. And Trey also caught up with Hollywood stars Hilary Swank and Alan Richson. About their new movie, Ordinary Angels, they talked about how the themes of grief, miracles, and purpose reminded them of the call God places on the lives of all Christians. That conversation's today's main thing. 
Hillary Swank, Alan Richson, thank you for being here. The two of you play, obviously, the lead roles in Ordinary Angels. Hillary, I want to go to you first and tell me what initially drew you to this story. Why did you want to be a part of Ordinary Angels? Well, it's a, certainly a story that if it was fiction, you wouldn't have believed it. One, and two, it's just a very feel-good movie and a reminder of the impact and change we can make in another's life. Um, mm -hmm. We don't have to be perfect to do it. We don't have to have all our stuff together. We can be imperfect, flawed human beings that still see another person in need and be of service and really find our purpose through that. Um, it also deals with issues of, um, of organ transplants and how important that is and how that saves lives. Um, debilitating medical debt and how there's people out there who can help with that. Um, and um, and then the richness of what you talk about, about what Ed, you know, tell you, you share that too. It's beautiful how you talk about Ed. I mean, I obviously talk about it from Sharon's point of view, but yeah, Ed, you know, Ed, Ed being a very real guy with little resources and a uh, little wherewithal to ask for help, um, really. Mm. Uh, survived these struggles in a, a very uh, remarkable way. Um, and to, to see that come to life on screen, it, it serves really as a good reminder that we all need help. We all have the capacity within us to help others. And, um, you know, I think we walk away from this film inspired and feeling like, what you know, what can I do to serve my community and those around us that are in need? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, there are aspects of this story that are resonating with me personally, because I'm actually we're going through a lot of the, the these these things in my own family right now and, and dealing with transplant and 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 illness and, and all that stuff. And Alan, I, I want to ask you, you've been open about about your faith. And John Gunn has said that this movie is really a call to action to the church. Talk a bit about that, about how maybe this movie has challenged or changed some of your own perspective on on these issues. That's a big question. That's a big question. I mean, look, <laughs> there's a lot of polarization right now in divisiveness. And I think a lot yeah. of that sadly comes from the church, which is uh, oftentimes far more focused on um, how vitriolic they can be towards one another or how they can ostracize certain groups, make out groups or monsters of others. And mm -hmm. this film rewrites the, the, the story and brings us back to the call that's placed on our lives as Christians, which is that there is a way and that way is peace. We're called to be peacemakers. We're called to serve one another. We're called to to be cities on a hill and lights uh, to others. You know, to be the salt that flavors each other's lives. Like that. That is the call. And 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 that's what you see happening in this very broken toy that Sharon is. And I think if we spent half, um, just half the energy that we do p picking people out to go like they don't fit, they're not part of the church. They they're the enemy now. And instead, found those people um, that. Uh, are, you know, and just uh, aligned ourselves with those people that are like Sharon, who's very broken, but doing mm. the good work that Christians are called to do by just, just helping in whatever way she possibly can. Um, that, that is, that's, the, that's the, this, this is more the picture of what Christianity is all about this film, um, where, where yeah. broken people are, are receiving help and helping. Amen. That was well yeah. said. Well, I want to ask you as we're wrapping up, uh, Hillary, about your own father's story and the, the experience you've had in, in your life. How have you drawn on some of that to, to tell this story, to play your oh, character? Well, what I was saying um, just previously with someone else was the fact that my dad was an organ transplant um, recipient. Mm. He got a, a, a lung and um, I'm sorry for the, the struggles your family's going through. And I hope they receive the organ that they need to save their life. It is truly life-saving. And um, 
when, when people make that choice. And so, um, I feel like my dad, I did this movie five months after he passed. And I really feel like he sent me this, this story. I feel like this is the movie that he would have been the most proud of, of my entire career that I was a part of because of the act of service and the, the beauty behind, um, these humans who, um, got a second chance, you know? Um, and it's just a lot of what he talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for taking some time. The movie is Ordinary Angels and congratulations. I appreciate it. All right, Trey, thanks for that conversation. Well, I'll put the whole thing. Uh, you can see that here in the description to this uh, in this podcast episode here. We'll have the link to that. You can watch the full conversation. You really kind of stumped Alan Richardson there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a good answer. You know, I think the first part of his answer I didn't fully agree with when he was talking about how the church, the church is, what, yeah, is often yeah. you know, part of the problem, which I think that's just what our culture teaches us to think when uh, more often than not, that's 100% not the reality. But I think the latter part of his answer was absolutely right. We are called to serve uh, above all else as Christians. Once we've been saved uh, by Jesus, we're called to extend that same grace and forgiveness to those around us. So uh, I thought he had some good thoughts to share. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about it. All right. We're going to have time for one last thing here on the podcast today. We're going to look at 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. It says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, again, one of these convicting verses where um, we're reminded that as our hearts are wicked, right? That this, this is what we're drawn to. We're selfish, we're greedy, we're prideful, all these things. And God keeps calling us back to follow him and try to be holy in all we do. We're not going to do it perfectly, but but we need to we need to follow that uh, with the help of the Spirit as best we can. All right, good spot to leave it here on this edition of the Quick Start Podcast. Lord willing, and that creek don't rise on us. We shall return tomorrow with more. Friday Junior's up next. We'll see you then. <laughs>